But I was like, you know what, it's just no longer fitting for me. Like post grad, I was in post grad life now. And I was like, I've had my time here, but there's only so much you can do in Orange County. And again, my my inner self was like wanting more just like when I left Pennsylvania. And so I was like, all right, I want to go live in Los Angeles. And she was so concerned. She thought it was dangerous and just all these crazy mom fears, you know. But um, it was again, it was a signal for me to go. And the same with LA. I had my good two years there kind of and I was like, or a year and a half rather. And I was like, all right, it's time to go. And then I packed my bags and left for New York. And so, yeah, I think um, I'm really grateful that I got to experience big cities along the way coming from such a small town. And I encourage people to do that is to even if you are from a small town like I am and you want to say, well, I'm scared, like I don't have the resources and all this stuff. Well, it's not like I came from a big city either, you know, but when you do it, that's when you get to overcome that fear and you get to learn those lessons. Hi friends, it's Kayla Moran and welcome back to the Let's Get Candid podcast. How is everybody doing today? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, happy Thursday. What a week, what a last couple of weeks. I know I was not on the podcast last week and I really just had to take a mental health break, you know, we all have those. And I originally planned to post or publish one episode every single week throughout bar prep, but sometimes you just can't do it. And it's a good reminder to us that we're not superhuman and that it's okay to back out of commitments within reason and for good reason, you know, not, you can't make a habit out of it. No one likes that, but you know, you got to put yourself first and you have to do what's best for you. And I honestly was debating skipping this week as well, but I have the opportunity, the, the moment to do an intro for you guys. And I really wanted to just come on here and share that with you guys because I do really miss these conversations and having conversations with my guests Throughout the last year that I've been doing the podcast, every week I had two and three conversations and they fulfilled me and enriched my life in so many ways, no matter what we were talking about. It was the highlight of my day, the highlight of my week, and not having that interaction has been really hard for me. So I'm happy to continue the podcast this week, even though I am exhausted and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed. But you know what? The bar exam is in two weeks and I've got this. That's what I'm telling myself. Um, It's just, it's crazy to me that 10 weeks has gone by so fast already that I graduated from law school two months ago. Actually, my diploma should have arrived in the mail today or actually at the end of last week, but USPS messed up my address and it was returned to sender. So I got that hopefully squared away, contacted my school and did all of the necessary changes. So hopefully my diploma will come in the mail sometime before I leave to take the bar exam. Cause it would just be really, it would be really nice to have, you know, to cement that I did in fact graduate. Cause obviously logically I did. And I know that, but like, it doesn't feel real, you know, it hasn't hit me yet. So I don't think it'll hit me until I'm at least in Europe or probably until I get my results <laughs> at this point. I don't know. But What else has been going on? Oh, um, yeah. So like I said, it's two weeks to the bar exam. So I posted a TikTok and then I also made a similar reel, same content, different video on Instagram because the TikTok one was not honestly not that great. 
Um, so I wanted to redo it for reels and use a different audio trending sound, all of that. And I went viral. (laughs) It's like the shittiest video ever. And that's what goes viral on Instagram when I wasn't even trying to. So if you haven't seen what I'm talking about yet, go check out my Instagram. It's linked in the show notes for you guys, but it's just a video saying, this is your reminder to check in on your friends that are taking the bar exam this summer. We have exactly two weeks and it's crunch time. It, this is, it's real. It's here. (laughs) We're not prepared and we need all the help and the good vibes and the encouragement that we can get. So please call, text a friend that you know is taking the bar exam and say you're proud of them and you wish them all the best because this exam is no freaking joke, but we've got this. Also highly recommend doing it if you want legal services at any time because we don't work for free. Um, just kidding. But yeah, so that was wild. And honestly, that, that kind of just goes to show how much of a roller coaster my life is and how every single day is just a roller coaster of emotions and is so different. All last week, I was super off my game, super like, I, I mean, I'm still overwhelmed and stressed, but I just felt like disconnected and discombobulated last week because of the long weekend and taking more time off than I had at any other point during bar prep, but having planned for it, but still knowing, you know, that I, I felt behind because I had taken time off and just reminding myself that it's okay and that my body and my brain needed a break and it was okay to take that break, but then just really struggling to get back into my routine. Anyone else feel that way, especially after a long weekend? Um, But yeah, so that really seeped in all the way until this past weekend and I kind of lost it. I, I had a really bad mental breakdown the Friday before the 4th of July long weekend and then Saturday night my cousin came over and I really just, her and I had a heart to heart girl chat really deep conversation and we both just bawled our eyes out and it felt really good to get that release and you know sharing our traumas and our family history and things that are going on in our personal lives that we're too afraid to talk about with other people or for fear of people not understanding but knowing that we understand because we we are going through it together and we have a lot of similar shared experiences of course And that just felt really good. It was the release I didn't know I needed. And I have therapy tomorrow. So I'm probably going to talk about that with my therapist. And I just, I don't know. Like I, it's, it's something that I know I need to talk more about, but I just, I'm scared to talk about it because I don't, uh, not that other people don't understand because of course they go through it in their own way and similar things happen in everyone's lives you know but it was nice to share it with someone who really truly does understand what I'm going through um but yeah so my therapist is in for a treat tomorrow but I've just been all over the place because I wake up in a good mood ready to go for the day and then an hour later I have a headache because I'm studying and you know, it's just so much and my anxiety and then it like, I'm, I'm productive for like four or five hours and then I need to take a break and then I'm productive for another hour. Then I take another hour break to decompress from that break. And it's like, it's just, it's a lot and I don't want to complain and I don't want to be insensitive and I don't want to, you know, I just don't want to perpetuate this narrative that I have it all together and that 
everything's going great because it's not. But at the same time, things are going really well because I have the privilege and the opportunity to have gone to law school and graduate from law school with minimal loans for considering and that I get to take the bar exam and I'm living at home while doing it and I didn't have to borrow money for the summer of bar prep like a lot of people do and that, you know, I have a job waiting for me at the end of this process when I know some people in my grade don't. And so it's like, it's, I also have to check myself and remember that I'm lucky to be where I am and that I am where I am today because I deserve it and I worked hard for it and no one can take that away from me. And this has just been my inner monologue for the last couple of weeks while I've been going through this process and just reminding myself that I've got this, that it'll all be worth it, this sacrifice, this investment, no matter how difficult it is and how exhausted I am of just being isolated and focused on studying when that's not where my true passion lies because I don't think anyone genuinely likes studying, but there's so many other things I'd rather be doing and places I'd rather be and people I'd rather be with and but reminding myself that I will have that but I can't have that right now because I chose to invest in myself and have the opportunity to do so and this will pay off dividends like no other and spoken like a true lawyer (laughs) saying that but it's true I just need to take a deep breath and if you are feeling any type of way similar to me or in your own way, whatever you're going through, you're also feeling like this, you're not alone. And I'm going to take a deep breath and then we'll jump in to the actual intro of this episode and introducing this week's guest. (sighs) I hope you did that with me as well. And I'm really excited for this week's episode, this week's guest. It's someone that I've been dying to have on the podcast since I started it, since before I started the podcast, and it is Emily Elizabeth, Emily Duong, the podcast host of the What Fulfills You podcast and the founder of the What Fulfills You card game that is all over Instagram and is super chic, but also just a really beautiful card game because it allows you, playing by yourself or playing with friends or on a date or however you want to play, family, to really dive in deep into yourself and really discover who you are and what you want out of life and what you want, who you want, what you want to do with your life, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what are things you need to work on. And I don't have the physical game myself, but I play every time I see it pop up on my Instagram and I do want to get the game. But I just, I think it's such a cool brand and such an important one. And she has really important conversations on her podcast with her guests and I'm just really excited to have this conversation with her and share a little bit about her and how she got to where she is today and her story and how everything that we've gone through really does shape us and the opportunities that we have along the way that that we can make something out of even in the smallest ways when you don't even think about it. So I'm really excited for this conversation and I want to keep this intro relatively short um because I I know this episode is going to be a long one but also because I don't want to take away from the important conversation that we had in this intro and that we're gonna have throughout the episode that you are meant to be where you are right now you deserve it and this is our time 
we we've got this but really fast before i go and we jump right in to the episode i want to change up the format a little bit and i don't want to do outros anymore i'm just going to do an intro and then the episode so i want to quickly let you guys know that i'm changing it up because it just makes it easier and a lot more seamless especially in the editing process and also i wanted to ask you guys can obviously tell that i don't script these out i'm going off the top of my head stream of consciousness type of thing for the actual conversations i do have a flow of what i want to talk about but when it's a solo i don't plan it so i'm curious to know do you guys like it like this or would you like me to have a more streamlined format more not super scripted but less pauses and ums in between and i do edit them out quite a bit but makes it hard sometimes to edit them out so wanted to ask your thoughts on that but like i said no longer doing an outro so Thank you guys so, so much for listening to the Let's Get Candid podcast. It really does mean the absolute world to me. And if you guys liked it, please leave a rating and review. Please subscribe and follow along. Send it to a friend. Screenshot when you're listening. Tag us. Tag the guest. Tag me. Tag Let's Get Candid. Share with a friend. Share with someone who needs to listen to this. You know I love to get to have these conversations with my guests and share them with all of you and they love getting to see the love on it too. So don't forget to tag them and without further ado, thank you guys so much for listening. I will talk to you all next week. Meet Emily Elizabeth. Emily, what's something that people wouldn't know about you just from following you? That my ultimate dream is actually to be a music producer slash DJ, not actually anything business related. I feel like I knew that just because I know you like EDM and like you post about it every once in a while yeah. um, through, through Natalie and just like we've talked about that. But what got you into EDM and like that, the whole genre of music and have you ever done anything in music production? Yeah, so my background in music, I actually played piano for about nine years. And I played, I taught myself guitar for a little bit, but that instrument didn't really interest me as much. Um, But just with like the piano, any musician knows, any artist knows, like that is like the base, like, uh, like, that's just the base of music of how you read music and and how you like understand chords. And especially myself, like one of my favorite artists slash music mentors is Kaigo. And most of his tropical house beats are piano beats, um, and he creates them on the piano. So for me, um, I actually, my brother gifted me last Christmas a complete, uh, what's it called, like music course by Kaigo. And we created like three different songs off of that. And I just really got my foot in the door with production then. But house music, I always had an interest since I was a teenager. Like I kind of mentioned, I have a brother, he's eight years older than me. And so when I was in middle school, I already saw, you know, once he was 21 and everything, he was going to nightclubs and having fun at Penn State and in college. And I always liked, um, not necessarily, I mean, for layman's terms, like it's pretty much EDM, but like specifically, it's like the house music you hear in nightclubs in Europe, which is very like niche. And so I'm kind of like, I'm very into like that kind of music, like UK house or like tropical house with like a deeper beat. And yeah, I I just have always loved it. I've always loved like lounge and nightlife as well. That's kind of a big interest of mine outside of like my busy, you know, entrepreneurial life. But yeah, I think I've always been like, oh, I I love to turn this art into um, just like my actual 
life and, and travel and, and perform for people. And then I think on a last note on that, performing wise, I was a figure skater, as you know. So I think performing in front of an audience and just being live for a crowd has also been kind of embedded in me since a child, since my childhood days, uh, competing and performing. And so I think all of that, the culmination of music and, and understanding how to connect with music has just been a part of me for a long time. But of course, as we all know, it's a difficult path to take as a career, especially, you know, with immigrant parents as well. They're like, yeah, like stick to something a little. <laughs> I know that one very well. Yeah. Um, no, that's so funny. And yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like the music in Europe. I'm actually, I just booked, I have to ask you for Rex if you've ever been, because I know you have a lot of friends in Europe too, but I just booked my bar trip to Italy, France, and Spain. And I know like the discos in Spain are a whole different, and I'm going to Ibiza. And oh, I <laughs> can't wait. I'm not super into house music and EDM. Mm-hmm. I like, I, I'm a dancer. So I, mm-hmm. I, with the whole performance and figure skating and like how music, how piano is the foundation for music, ballet was the foundation for dance and, I'm, and for figure skating, I'm sure too, they're very mm-hmm. similar. And I just, I, I need to be able to dance. And like, there's some types of EDM and like electronic music you just can't dance to. And mm-hmm. so like, that's like what I have stuck in my head, you know, and like growing up in Miami ultra and it's like, that's just not my vibe, but the discos in Europe where you're dancing with people and stuff like that is more my vibe. So like, I think you need to show me some artists that I might be, I I, I know tropical house. I think I do like that a little bit more, but yeah, I'm not super into like electronic music, but if whenever you're Miami next and I'm once I'm already home, like I want to go out with you when I and like experience the nightlife that, you know, because Mm -hmm. I'm super into bars and lounges and yeah. like clubs they can dance in, but like not like like I'm not going to space. Like yeah. that's not I my vibe. I space been. is not really like yeah, no, I get you. Space is actually not my vibe either. That's why it's like really weird to say, but they're like within the EDM world, there's also multiple different like crowds of house music lovers, if you will. And I think there's this notion of people that go to space, for example that's all like into just wearing casual clothes and just like vibing and and maybe enjoying certain I don't know candies and all that kind of thing like not which is not my cup of tea I personally I'm more into lounges as well but that are really catered towards the music and enjoying cocktails and and so I I only find that in Miami and New York City and New York for me primarily I only go to like lounges and like I guess you could call like bougie cocktail lounges that's my vibe like yeah. About yeah. To arrive one day and I was like same like I need I need to come to New York and hang out with you in New York and I also can't wait till you come to Miami like we can hang out in Miami because I want to know where you yeah. go. what's your favorite like lounge or bar in Miami where do you go I would say like probably I haven't been so for Miami I haven't been to as many lounges I would say clubs were more my thing in Miami because like Miami like even the restaurant life is very loungy to my to me you know that's what I love like give me a nice restaurant that turns into a lounge or Mila Mila I haven't been but I'm dying to but Miami my number one favorite Miami restaurant lounge it's called um Miami like Miami Wynwood I don't know okay. if you've been there, but it's it's a similar vibe to Mila in that sense, but it's Mexican food. Okay. Oh my God. So much fun. Like the hookah lounges I, I came out and like after dessert and all of that. And it was just so fun. We went for happy hour and then like at 10 o'clock, we went for like at seven and then at 10 o'clock, we were still there just having drinks mm-hmm. after dinner. And they're like, do you want to get a hookah lounge? The lights went off mm-hmm. and it turned into a kind of a club. And we were like, it's cool because we have our own table. So yeah. we're not like in the mosh pit. 
Mm-hmm. Everyone has a table, but like we're dancing around, guys were buying us drinks. Like we were all like talking to everybody. And I was like, this is my vibe. So I do, I'm dying to go to Mila. I know I'm sure you've been to Live. Yeah, Live is Blue. my favorite nightclub, um, yeah, but only too. when there is house music artists. So like Tiesto, Alesso, Cascade. I went for Afrojack and that was actually really fun. Okay. okay, cool. Yeah, he's he's an OG guy. <laughs> yeah, it was super random. I didn't know that he was going to be there. So, but I really okay. enjoyed that. But anyway, yeah, let me know next time you're in Miami. But another thing you brought up, I want to talk to you about figure skating because you mm-hmm. also have a business in that world as well. Mm-hmm. But what was it like growing up in small town Pennsylvania with a brother who was eight years older than you. I didn't know that part. I was gonna ask you about Pennsylvania, but then you said you had a brother who's eight years old. And I was like, that's an interesting way to grow up. So what was that like? Yeah. So as you know, I grew up in a small town, a town of 8,000 people, um, you know, to give a bigger picture, like the closest Starbucks to me was about 20 minute drive. And what we considered Mexican food was Chipotle. So yeah, I I grew up in a very uncultured, like I actually grew up in what's called Amish capital of America. If anyone Googles it, it'll just pop up like the county of where I grew up in. Yeah, Lancaster, right? Yeah. But basically it it really, it it felt like not, when I grew up there, it just felt very misaligned for me. I mean, it was like my soul was wanting different, like the city life of like New York or somewhere like Europe, but I was like stuck there physically. And then, so I, so I think that was a big driving factor for me was realizing that I was not in a physical environment that was aligned with me, but then also having an older brother, I think that made me really tough as a person. I think something my mom um, and I disagree on a lot is just like, she thinks I'm very assertive and maybe alpha type personality. And I think for women today, we're kind of encouraged to be like that and in a good way, in a positive way to be leaders, to stand up for what we believe in. But I attribute those traits of mine for having an older brother because he pushed me a bit. He always would kind of nag me and say, hey, you know, like you let that get to your head too easily. And I remember just growing up as a kid, I was like, okay, you got to toughen up because you know, this world's not easy. And so I think that's kind of how I have a lot of thick skin. And I kind of say things in a more forward blunt way today, because I didn't really have someone to sugarcoat it for me as a young kid. And so that was a blessing in a way that I didn't know until, you know, this age. Oh, absolutely. For me, I'm the oldest, but for me, it was my mom. And she never sugarcoated anything. And I struggle a lot with being a very assertive person. And, you know, as Latinas, we get the like, oh, she's so spicy. And I'm like, you say that like, it's a like, you think it's cute. And then you get to know us and you're like, oh, shit, she's crazy. And it's Mm -hmm. not that I'm crazy. It's just, I know what I want. And I'm not afraid to stand up for myself. And yeah, I'm assertive. And it's so true. Like now it's being praised and respected more. But Mm -hmm. even a couple years ago, and like, in any TV show or anything, it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's not good for women to, you know, then we're, we're labeled bitchy and bossy and all these other things so I was going to ask you like what are some lessons you've learned or lessons you learned growing up in small town Pennsylvania that have helped you in life and that's definitely a big one I would say anything else that you learned growing up there another big one was just appreciating where I came from and appreciating that I grew up very humbled and in a place where not many people leave and in a town where honestly like the odds of anyone making it from that place is very slim um and so it, it's a it's a very unique story as I look back and connect the dots because you know um, I was 
one of two Asians in my high school. My my town and my the area I grew up in was predominantly Caucasian. That's just facts. Um, and I think it was really it was a really unique experience. Was being one of the extremely few minorities across the board of any minority in that area, um, in that town. And so I appreciate it because when I moved to Orange County slash Newport Beach, which, you know, is one of the most affluent zip codes, area codes in the nation, it it was very humbling because I I came from a place where I was like, oh, I didn't have access to Starbucks across the street. I didn't have access to In-N-Out and and like all these different types of, um, you know, foods and everything. And so I just think I grew to appreciate building that lifestyle more even though when I was like 15 watching the hills for example one of my favorite reality shows I was like wow I wish I grew up in Orange County or I wish I grew up in California or like Calabasas like that area and I just used to think like that's where I wish I could go and grow up but honestly really really grateful that I didn't because I got to see a big part of what America like at its core like the rest of Midwest is like where I grew up Um, most of East coast is like where I grew up unless you live in a metro city and so I'm grateful that I came from that and then you know now I live in Manhattan and I've lived in LA and I've lived in all these cities but I started from just an extremely small town very kind of just uncultured in a way and and now I get to like blossom out of that yeah no and that's a beautiful story and I think there's so much value in that and for me I mean I grew up in Miami which is a bigger city but growing up in being Hispanic in Miami, it is very much like a bubble. Like we live in a, we're very cultured, but we're very actually uncultured in anything that's not Latin America. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that there was other area codes and that there were other cities and people didn't speak Spanish and there was other food. Like I, I, I had chili for the first time when I went to college. I didn't know what a grilled cheese was. Like mm-hmm. until I was 17, 18 years old in college. So I, I had like the reverse culture shock going to college. Totally. And I think, you know, I struggled that like for a while, like feeling like I didn't belong. And I, and I still feel that way in Knoxville growing up, like being here in a place that isn't super cultured. I feel very like uncomfortable and like being one of the few minorities because I definitely am. Part of, there's a big, large, uh, large African-American population, but there's not a whole lot of other minorities here. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I do have that similar relationship here and I was like I'm actually so lucky that I grew up in a cultured place like Miami and I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful for what growing up in my city taught me and I think it's super valuable when we look back and realize that everywhere that we've lived every experience that has ever happened to us Mm -hmm. really does teach us something and that it's a theme on my podcast that you know life's not linear but everything that we've gone through everything we've experienced helps us get to where we're meant to be connecting the dots like you said so mm-hmm. I love that and yeah so you mentioned you grew up figure skating you played piano for several years and then you moved to LA and then now you're in New York City have where and you live somewhere else in between then you said yeah so I actually started out in Orange County I went to college there I went to Chapman University and then afterwards I moved to Los Angeles so for those who are not familiar with California Orange County is about 45 minutes south of Los Angeles yeah yeah the OC if you've watched the OC that's where she was um, I have friends who went to Chapman or not friends, but like people I went to high school with, but yeah. What was it like growing up as a figure skater and how did you balance figure skating competitively and piano or like, were they at the same time or were they two separate time periods? Like how'd you do both? Yeah, they were at the same time, but actually what is probably more of a balance was figure skating and tennis. Oh, um, so I was a competitive tennis player as well. And I think the number one reason why I was able to balance both is that they are individual sports or at least 
in, for tennis, the real, um, it's a running joke. Many of us, uh, when we play at a certain level, we joke about high school tennis because in the competitive tennis world, high school tennis is a joke. So most of us don't really play um, high school tennis. We actually only play what's called USTA tournaments. And, and that's, we have rankings there. And that's how like actual college scouts find us. It's not through high school, um, unlike, you know, football, for example. But with skating and tennis, you know, both sports taught me a lot of discipline. I was lucky that my brother, you know, my older brother, he played tennis. He was state champion and, and, you know, had a lot of accolades with him in tennis and played at Penn State. And so um, it was easy in that sense because he was also part of my coaching team. And then with skating, it just it just taught me a lot of sacrifice and discipline and knowing how to maintain that while staying focused in school and having a social life. Um, but that's definitely a big backbone today to, you know, how and why I pursue a lot of the things I do now is because I talk about this on my podcast and have mentioned it in the past, but just in general with figure skating, I think that might be the only thing in life I have slight regret about, which is wishing I had tried harder when I was 16. And of course, everyone will be like, well, you, you know, you don't, you can't be hard on yourself like that. You didn't know at the time and all these different things. And that's, very true. But um, I think if yeah, if, if someone was like gun to the head, like, what would you do differently about your life, I would probably say, I would go back and tell myself at the age of 15 and 16, drop, you know, the dilly dallying stuff in high school. It's great memories and all that. But if you want to be at the level your competitors are at, and which some of my uh, former training mates were in the what you guys would consider like Olympic trials for figure skating this past Olympics. And so a lot of them are still at that level right now, are still competing and still training at that level. And so I just always had to acknowledge to myself that I didn't make the same sacrifices as they have. And uh, I've, I just, I have, not anymore right now, but like over the past couple of years, especially during college, I had FOMO about skating and wishing that I was still on the same track as some of my training mates. And I was like, wow, I'm so normal now. I'm in college and everything. And of course, I would not change the path I went on because I think that was also meant to be my path. And I, because now my takeaway is like, okay, this is your second shot at your new dream. You know, like that was my childhood dream. It didn't hit and it doesn't hit for most people. It wasn't necessarily even about making the Olympics. It was more about competing on a international level and being, you know, one of the top skaters, um, even if I represented another country. But yeah, I, I just think being an athlete as a whole really taught me self-discipline and understanding the importance of sacrifice and what it means to like make it into, you know, the 1% in your field. 100%. I, so similar, I grew up dancing and I wish I would have applied myself more in dancing. I mean, for us, like we don't have like the Olympics or anything like that, but I was a good dancer. I will say I was a good dancer. I could have been great if I would have applied myself. And at the time I didn't realize it. Look, but looking back now, I, I know I was struggling with mental health issues from a very young age and my motivation was gone. I was depressed and the things that I loved weren't bringing me joy anymore. And I, I stopped doing those things because I was in such a dark place and I regret looking back, not having tried harder. Like I could have, you dance was my outlet, but eventually got to the point where I was like, this isn't fun anymore because I was so deep in the mental health spiral. And I wish I would have been able to not be in that spiral some way. So I could have pursued dance because there's so many girls now that I know I grew up with and guys too, that they did. So you think you can dance and they go on dancing with the stars or they're 
doing commercials or they're in music videos. I always grew up, I wanted to be those girls in music videos. I wanted to be on So You Think You Can Dance. And I I wish I would have been able to do that. So I, I, I can totally relate. And same thing, it taught me discipline. It taught me work ethic. And I think that's the most valuable. Sports are so invaluable with the discipline and work ethic and just the life lessons it teaches you. I actually did a whole blog post on the life lessons dance taught me because it's so much more than just dance and I'm sure it was the same thing for figure skating the discipline that it takes especially to make it to that level international mm-hmm. I can only imagine and I love watching the Olympics gymnastics and figure skating are definitely my two favorites um besides swimming just mm-hmm. and even with swimming with that that discipline and the training that it takes but I think that's so valuable and again like life is not linear like but everything happens for a reason and it you know wasn't meant to be your path you know that now but I mean yeah we can look back and be like damn I wish I could have done that because we know we could have been so much better than we were and Mm -hmm. I think that part's the hard part for sure I will like throw out a debate though I do I I'm actually not really a firm believer and everything happens for a reason. Um, I think just that in itself is a great example, which is that I made the choice to not be 150% there for the sport. And that is okay. I don't I don't think there was like this woo-woo universal reason like, oh, Emily wasn't meant to make the Olympics. It, I don't think that was really a matter of universal fate or whatever. I think that was a matter of, I didn't apply myself at that time and it led me in a different direction. But I don't think that was, which which I do personally believe that most people kind of tie in, you know, when they can't or refuse to actually say, yeah, I didn't work that hard. They would be like, well, it happened for a reason. And now- No, I agree. In that yeah. sense, I do- And agree. I'm not saying you are saying that either. No, I just no, kind I of, I, I like to add that because I think I debate a lot of people on that topic in that I think 50% of life is your decisions. And you have to be accountable for the fact that you didn't try that hard. Or maybe for people who go to law school or go try to get into a certain university, this happened to me as well. I didn't get into my top school. And you could be like, well, this, you know, this, everything happens for a reason. And and honestly, again, I wouldn't even change my path. But the truth is there, you know, I didn't apply myself as hard on the SATs and the ACTs, or some people might not have actually, like, if you look back and you go, yeah, there was times where I probably could have actually done this to result in a better LSAT score or SAT score, ACT score, or better essays, whatever, that would have heightened my probability, not saying it would have been a guarantee, but actually would have improved my chances. And I think it's a matter of when you can recognize that and be like, yeah, I actually could have, I could have had a direct um, like impact on the potential outcome. And I think that's when you can really maneuver your path more. But yeah, I think it's all 50-50. No, absolutely. I agree. I do think it is 50-50. I think, like I said, like I start off with saying like I didn't apply myself and I wish I would have applied myself more. And I think it is the choices we make 100% and you do have to hold yourself accountable. The for me that everything happens reason part is the mental health aspect that I had no control over. Like I could not have changed that. That is a chemical imbalance in my brain. I there's nothing I can do about it. I could just learn to manage it and cope with it and heal. Mm-hmm. and work through it and make that active choice every single day to focus on the bigger picture and move forward and not live in the past and live in regret. So mm-hmm. I, for me, I agree. It's 50, 50. I, I wish I would have applied myself more. And I think the reason I didn't apply myself more is that I didn't realize I was in such a dark place at such a very, at such a young age, but I think everything happens reason for me. It's because I would not be where I am today. Had I not struggled with mental health because it allowed me to be who I am today, it it did impact the choices I made and everything. Once I actually knew 
what was happening and could do something about it. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. And I'm actually happy we, we like had this little mini debate because it's super important for people to know, like, you can't just say everything happens for a reason and then hope and pray that like life is going to figure it out for you. And like, God's going to just show you his plan magically. Like, no, you got to work for it too. Like it's both. Things are going to happen and come into your path and you're going to keep getting the same lessons that you need to learn until you learn them. But you also have to make active choices every single day and hard choices some days in business, in life, in school, in career, mm-hmm. in anything. You know, mm-hmm. life's not easy. Like they say, like life's tough, wear a, a helmet or whatever. Like yeah. that's totally true. So it's both. I agree. I'm glad we had this little mini debate. What took you to LA? Because you grew up, you said, you know, I wanted to go to a big city. Mm-hmm you know, LA, New York, Europe, why LA? And how did you know about schools in LA to apply to? Yeah, so growing up, my family and I, so it was just my parents and my brother, we went to Southern California for vacation, for summer vacations. That was pretty much just what we did. We'd go there for like five days, maybe a week at most. And we just would explore California. And it was definitely an aspiration for my parents too. I think a big part of them wanted to, or had strong consideration in moving out there. But you know, they were always the type that took too long to make decisions. And so when it came time for college, I just knew that I wanted to be in Southern California. LA was the number one city for me. Um, But then of course, I ended up in Orange County, as I mentioned, but I, I just knew that I wanted to experience it. Like I felt a strong calling to go to Los Angeles and to be in that environment for a few years because you know I remember when we used to use Tumblr for example I used to have all these photos of California Los Angeles Hollywood and everything and it definitely became everything I could have wished for in my experience in California but I just knew that I was again stuck in such a small town that was so misaligned for me. I didn't find alignment with the people in my town. I didn't really see that people in my area went and expanded themselves. They all, most people went to Penn State, Villanova, so schools in Philadelphia or the biggest state schools around there. Um, and, And most people didn't really leave their home. And I was always curious for more. And so I just felt compelled. It was between New York and LA, but something within me was leaning towards LA and California at the time. And so once I got my school options and I saw that what I could do, I was like, I'm going to California. Like there's there's no one that's going to hold me back. Yeah, even though my mom kind of tried to, but that's another story. <laughs> oh, I'm always just curious because like I was talking about this with Natalie, like she applied to FIT and I was like in high school I now I know what FIT is like if my kid wants to do something in fashion and I now I know to tell them FIT but Mm -hmm. I didn't know that myself growing up so how did you learn about that so I was always curious like like the schools in California yeah like how do you how you knew about them because I mean growing up in Miami I knew the schools in Florida I knew the schools in New York and I knew the schools in North Carolina because we winter vacationed in North Carolina so I was like was it a summer vacation or something or like how did you know um, so that makes total sense. But yeah, what was it like once you got to the OC to Newport Beach and then to LA? What was the culture shock and like how long were you there for and what what has California taught you? I was in California for a total of six and a half years. And so four years for college and then two and a half was post-grad life. And I remember when I first came to Orange County, just the biggest culture shock for me, which might sound really strange, so I'm fully prefacing that, but I was really shocked to see many different ethnicities and ethnic backgrounds. Like I said, I grew up in a Caucasian community, so it was 
very different for me to be surrounded by, you know, like uh, fellow Asians and Persians and people of of different backgrounds. And I I was like, this is so different. Like I just, where it it people would be so incredibly amazed to see where I grew up because it is literally just beyond. It's just no one could really ever picture me there, which is really funny. Um, but that was the biggest culture shock for me was just like the different ethnic backgrounds. And then along with that were like the food options, like, oh my goodness, I had access to so many different foods. I was in love and I was like so happy because I did not have that at all. Like the fast food where I'm from is like, you know, maybe Chick-fil-A, which is also 20 minutes away and Chipotle and McDonald's. But over in California, I had like Mendocino farms and sweet green and like different cool options that were like also at least semi-healthy for you and so that was the biggest shock for me and I think the people as well I've noticed a lot of people in California are very slow-paced laid back they also seem to be extremely unaware of the rest of America I think because California is so big most people don't really explore outside of California you can go from NorCal to San Diego and then Mexico even but most people don't go from California to New Jersey you know it's super random but I think that's why again I mentioned earlier I appreciate growing up in Pennsylvania because I grew up in what's kind of the heart of what middle-class America is like and so California you don't really get to see that as much because you you do you are still so close to LA where the glitz and glam happen, and you are not as mentally away from that uh, compared to where I grew up. But I think the biggest lesson for me with with Los Angeles and California is is knowing a when it's it's time to leave, you know, when it's time to move on. So I think the big one was like when it was time for me to leave Orange County. Again, I keep mentioning this, but like my mom did not just dis- did not agree with me. She was like, I want you to stay in Orange County. I want you to stay in Newport. Um, like she 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 was familiar with Orange County by that point because I was there for four years. But I was like, you know what? It's just no longer fitting for me. Like post grad, I was in post grad life now, and I was like. I've had my time here, but there's only so much you can do in Orange County. And again, my my inner self was like wanting more, just like when I left Pennsylvania. And so I was like, all right, I want to go live in Los Angeles. And she was so concerned. She thought it was dangerous and just all these crazy mom fears, you know. But um, it was, again, it was a signal for me to go. And the same with LA. I had my good two years there kind of, and I was like, or a year and a half rather. And I was like, all right, it's time to go. And then I packed my bags and left for New York. And so, yeah, I think um, I, I'm really grateful that I got to experience big cities along the way coming from such a small town. And I encourage people to do that is to even if you are from a small town like I am and you want to say, well, I'm scared, like I don't have the resources on the, and all this stuff. Well, it's not like I came from a big city either, you know, but when you do it that's when you get to overcome that fear and you get to learn those lessons. Absolutely. And also you become really scrappy and resilient. I think mm-hmm. those are two things that you need in this world, especially in this, the, the time that we're living in. But mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think whether you're a big city or a small town, because I'm the opposite from you, you need to get out of your hometown in general. Mm-hmm. And then if you actively decide to move back one day, then that's great. But you know, it's not for you. You know, it's not for you. And that's what happened to me. Like, you know, I grew up in a city and I I came to a small town and I realized like, nope, I'm a city girl, but I would never have known that had I not left and mm-hmm. experienced middle-class America. Cause growing up in Miami, again, we live in like a Latin America bubble. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot like LA, you know, we, Miami, like Fort Lauderdale is 45 minutes away. And we're like, that's too far. We're not going. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you ever heard that when you were, you're in Miami, but it's like, they're like, 
oh, like, let's, where do you want to go? This restaurant, like, where's that? Four Lotto. Nope, not happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. dang, your little Miami 305 bubble. And, but I got to see what middle America was like living in Tennessee. And I was like, you know what? I'm a city girl. I'm going back to Miami. So I think anyone, you know, if that's such a great like advice, knowing when you need to leave, whether it's your small town or you're a big city and experiencing different places, different cultures, different ways of life. So mm-hmm. you learn about yourself, what you value and what you, where you fit in best, because not just where you grew up or where you're living now, you might love it, but doesn't necessarily mean it's the right fit for you. But unless you try something new, you don't know. So I think that's such a great lesson. What took you from LA to New York City? Definitely number one was I just didn't really see myself in LA long term anymore. Um, I noticed especially from 2021, since towards from the end of 2020 through mid 2021, I was traveling between New York and LA, like once every five to seven weeks, give or take. And so the more I was in New York, the more I was around the people, the more I started to become involved with people there, whether it was like talking to guys from here, or just like be getting closer to my friends that are already based in New York City. I was like, huh, I just the this is once again calling me there because people I think it's always been about the people as well as like I felt like my the the community of like-minded people for me existed more here in New York than it did in LA so that was a big big catalyst for me but I think secondly too I thought about what I want or what I think I ideally want long term um, and I'm talking like five seven eight years from now I definitely see myself and I actually had this talk with a friend the other day he you know from high school he was and he still lives in Pennsylvania and he was like like where do you see yourself you know I know you know New York for a few years but where do you see yourself after I'm like truth be told buddy I actually see myself in Manhattan long term and when I say long term I mean I would love to raise a family here that's just my preference and before everyone throws the arguments of well the cost of living plus Mm. how do you raise a family there I go don't ask me how you raise a family here ask the people that have successfully raised a family here and then come back to me and, and you know so I always find it interesting maybe a little bit weird too that people ask questions that there are actually legitimate answers to the question it's of their own fear. It's it's coming from their fear of like that they, they they think because they will never be able to do it that they don't understand how other people can. And it's yeah. like keep it to yourself, dude. Like yeah, and, I'll and, and I, it hate out. To- I want it badly enough, I'll figure it out. Yeah, and and in it's not like I think this might sound like savage too, but I've always noticed that the truth is the one percent of the entire world have real estate in New York and or live in New York City. Some of the top entrepreneurs, Damon John, Barbara Corcoran, they live here and they're born and bred from New York City as well. Um, Even political people that most people love or hate, Trump is from here, Clinton is from here, Kennedy is from here, all born and bred from New York, Manhattan, New York City. And so that was always appealing to me as well, not like um, any power aspect, but just the fact that there's a lot of people that make it in a city that everyone else, including my own friends and family that live outside of New York, will say it's impossible or it's stupid or it costs too much to live there. And I go, okay, but whoever started the the trail for the Kennedys or the whoever the OG Trump, Kennedy, Clinton, and all these other people, Damon John, whoever started it, made it for them. How did they start? Like, where did, you know, like someone, someone had to start, someone started from ground zero and that just might as well be me. And also truth be 
told you, I don't see any Asian female representation in New York in terms of like, when you think of well-established people from New York, I, I can't even think of an yeah. Asian female. And so there's just a lot of- um, I can't even think of an Asian male or a Hispanic person. Um, black, you can start seeing a few, but no, I agree. And so actually, so funny you brought up the Kennedys because I was doing research on them. I love Maria Shriver and I was listening to a podcast she was on, on The Skinny Confidential last night. And I did a deep dive on like the Kennedys, like all the way back to JFK's dad and like how, how the, he's the one who really started it off for the Kennedys and all the way down to, you know, Patrick and Catherine Schwarzenegger. And so I, again, like the family trees and all of that. And I, I regularly will like deep dive on, you know, the Rockefellers. I, I went on that deep dive a couple months ago, like full on all the way back to the first Rockefeller and, you know, the people who started Walgreens and the Pulitzers and all these different people. And I, yeah, you have to start somewhere, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, like those are the places that it, those things happen. And, and like, you know, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And yeah, like it does take a lot. Again, going back to being scrappy, like if you want it badly enough, you're going to make it happen. So don't put your fear on me. Like, let me figure it out because I want it badly enough. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it. And I, I see that in you as well. Like, you know, at my mom, my parents always like, it amazes me how many business ideas and how much, like all these things you want to do. You're so ambitious. Like people always ask me, where do I get it from? I'm like somewhere deep inside of me. Like I, I see what's out there and I want that for myself. I'm going to make it happen. If you want it badly enough, which you do, like you're going to make it work. So I, and I think you. on top of that too, is what is most important is like, it's not about it's not about because of what everyone else is doing. And again, I know like Natalie, for example, our mutual friend, like she most likely will stay in Florida. And I know she loves Miami more than she loves New York. I think it's a difference of like what, what, which lifestyle and which community of people fit you most. And for me, it just fortunately and unfortunately happens to be one of the most expensive <laughs> cities in the world. Like it just happens to be New York. It could have been LA as well, you know? But for me, it really has always been New York um, being an East Coast girl myself. And I've always imagined myself you know, and even we see in Gossip Girl, even though it's not really realistic and practical. <laughs> I knew you right? were going to bring up Gossip Right? But I mean, and I'm not saying that's like what I in, would envision myself, but I think in terms of like- I, okay. I you can envision that for yourself. I envision for I envision that for myself, but like the Miami version, but like- well, I, I think in terms of like, there's people that go, I would never want to be like living in a townhome or anything. Like like they would be like, I don't want to live in a hotel like Serena Vanderwoodson, right? Be but then it's funny because it's like the same people that grew up in my small town because they only know what it's like to live in a 3000 square foot home where you drive 20 minutes to Chipotle. And that's great. If you if that's the lifestyle you still want when you're 50 and raising kids, that's perfect. But I had that for 18 years. I've had Manhattan for seven months, you know? And yeah. so I'm not even like, not even close to like a quarter of the way of my New York time. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I've already had the experience of living in the, not even sub, I've had those suburbs, which is Orange County. And I had the rural, which is where I grew up for 18 years, farmland, Amish capital of America, cornfield in my backyard type of thing had that already, you know, and then I had Los Angeles as well, where it's like city, but it's not like Manhattan city, it's like spread out city. And then now I'm living in New York. And so I think I've had a taste of different lifestyle aspects. And it's always been confusing to me why everyone thinks the cookie cutter way to raise a family is in a suburb 
or a rural town. I agree. It with land off. And like a 4,000 square foot home plus or bigger. Like, you know, I have family and relatives that are like, you could be paying using that rent towards a mortgage in Dallas, Texas. And I'm like, well, shut up because I don't really care about living in Dallas or Austin. Like I really don't. And great. Yeah. Cheaper there. If that's the lifestyle you want and that's an area you like, go Absolutely. for it. But I would never let the cost of living um, until like I have no other option to dictate where I live or not cost of living, but just like, oh my God, I get more for my bang for my buck here. Like, that's just not how I think about things. There's so many other factors that come into play. I mean, that's a big one. Definitely. It's a lot of money, but no, yeah, yeah I 100% agree. And I I've never lived like the biggest city I've ever lived in is Miami. And I do want to experience living in LA or New York for like an extended stay, like a month or two and like experience mm-hmm. it. Although I, I don't do winter. So I know as much as I love New York and would love to live in New York, I cannot live in New York six months out of the year. It's mm-hmm. just not going to happen for me. It's too cold. So, but I do even want in the to fall, experience- like winter is like three months, even like living in Knoxville. And now I know like anything below 40, I'm like, it's too cold. Really? Um, I mean, I was a figure skater. So, and I grew up again, I grew up in Northeast. So like, I don't, so, yeah, like, you grew up in Pennsylvania, yeah. it's very, but like growing up in Miami where it's sunny and 75 yeah. every day or like 90, like, no, it's too cold, but I love to visit in the winter. Like I, Thanksgiving is my birthday and my favorite season, like fall, I, you know, go to the Thanksgiving Macy's day parade or like the lighting of the tree, like that kind of stuff. Like absolutely. Mm-hmm. But like on vacation, just like not extended, but yeah. I, I definitely want the Gossip Girl lifestyle. I'm just going to like Real Houses of Miami. Like think of Real mm-hmm. Houses of Beverly Hills, like Real Houses of Miami now that it's back. Like that's the lifestyle that I am planning to build for myself. Totally. So we're, on, yeah. we're on par, just different cities. And you know, yeah. whenever you're, you come down to Miami often, I'll come visit you in New York. Natalie will definitely come too. But no, I agree. I think it's, I'm tired of people putting like their views and their, what their wants and needs mm-hmm. and their fears Mm -hmm. on other people like there's a reason why there's different types of people in the world and you know we're all allowed to make our own path so and I and I respect it too you know I just think it's always interesting because those people are so clouded by their own beliefs and biases that they don't recognize like not like imagine if every family in America only raised family in a house with cars and like lived 20 minutes from you know the big metro spots or whatever the the big the bigger town spots you know it's like well then what would happen to the cities first of all secondly the prices would go up and like well I can tell you what would happen look at San Francisco people don't live in San Francisco they just commute into work because it's so expensive to live in proper San Francisco that they live in the bay area and have to drive two hours to work every day and then two hours back home I just don't even like I I don't like San Francisco either but I went there we went to Napa for my birthday and we were in San Francisco for one night and the city was dead dead because everyone leaves at 4 30 to get home by 6 to get back on line and get back to work that's the thing though too is like thankfully New York is one of the main epicenters of the world on top of London Paris and I don't know maybe like Tokyo Milan you know okay I always think of it this way if your city has a fashion week and it has um, a stock exchange, and it covers like the the primary industries that are competitive in all those in like that are competitive in that city. Then it would never like it would never like fall down. In, oh, you know? agreed, agreed, like, absolutely. In Francisco, it only had tech and Silicon Valley. 
um, as their primary dominance. Whereas New York, you got the fashion, the modeling industry, yeah. um, Wall Street, finance, and of course, amongst yeah, many yeah. other things. So like, it's just hard to break that, you know, it's, it's, it's New York Stock Exchange. It will never, it will never leave, you know, but no. yeah, the, it would be a struggle to, to see if I was coming from San Francisco, it would be a struggle because it'd be like, well, frick, like it's, it's done, you know, it's, it's dying. <laughs> Austin, it's like taking over for the new Silicon Valley. Miami too, but no, I agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, for San Francisco, I think a lot of it was that they were very strict on COVID and it was COVID that primarily did them. And then the tech boom to Austin and to Miami because no state taxes and all of that kind of thing. But I agree whenever there's a stock exchange and there's multiple industries, wherever there's banks, there's, and the stock exchange, you know, that city is, is golden. Um, And being in Miami, being on the East coast, we benefit from that pipeline as well. So Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your businesses because you are very ambitious. You have your hands in a lot of different cookie jars. So I know you have, how do you pronounce it? Lost Hatton? Is that? Yeah, that's how you say it. (laughs) English is not my first language. So I struggle sometimes. I'm like, I was reading it. I was like, I'm going to screw this up. Everyone does. Everyone struggles with it until they see like, oh, okay. The two words that come together. Yeah. yeah. So you have Lost Hatton, you have Elite Skatewear, and then you have What Fulfills You, which is a podcast and a card game. So Mm Which one came first? Was it Lost Hatton or was it What Fulfills You? It was actually Elite Skatewear. Oh, I started that. Yeah, I started that when I was 17. I started out on eBay. And more or less the story is, you know, I I started designing my own dresses when I was a teenager. I was kind of bratty in a way where I was like, no, I want to do this my way. And I want my own design and I want my own colors and all that kind of crap. So um, eventually my mom was like, okay, fine. I was like, I had these ideas together and I was like, is there a way like I can just give this to someone to like make it based on what I want, not like the designer's desires. And we kind of uh, did some digging and basically we kind of found a dressmaker. And then eventually I was, uh, people would ask me at competitions like, oh, where is that from? It's like so different and unique. And it was different because it was a 16 year old designing her own dress instead of a 40 year old yeah instead of like a 40 year old like a dressmaker whatever designer like making it for a 16 year old you know it's like of course a teenager is gonna know what her taste is more than someone who's out of the industry or out of today's world and so I was like huh maybe what if I took a photo of this and started to sell it as a custom made to fit option on eBay. Because back then when I was in middle school and high school, eBay was still really, yeah. really dominant um, in that world. And so I started on eBay, uh, got my start off of there for a few years. About junior year of college, I was like, you know what, I need to make my own website and I need to uh, start getting my stuff into retail stores and get wholesale partners. And so that's when I really started to grow and scale the brand into what it is now where I don't really have to focus on growing it. Now it's just like repeat customers, repeat, you know, retailers that come and and purchase from me. And so that was my first business. And that's kind of how I have my business branding background because it was really scrappy. I was just this teenager slash college student, figuring it out, packing on my own, getting the orders, you know, all that good stuff. Um, So that was my first one. And then Afterwards, I guess the podcast, What Fulfills You, came after. I started it in February, March 2020, right around, you know, when COVID was happening. But it was before when COVID like was announced. But I started that just because I I knew that podcasts had a big impact for me, especially during my times of struggle during college. And at the time, I, I, I learned about podcasts. I learned about listening to them. I was like, huh. 
these are really helpful. And, and so I just remember though, at the time as well, you know, I was 20, 21 years old. I was like listening to Tony Robbins, but I was like, the odds of someone my age listening to Tony Robbins is extremely slim. You know, he, it's just, so you don't I have a him. funny story about that. So yeah. um, it's so cool about how elite skatewear started. And I know what you mean about the designing of dresses. I remember again, for solos, for dance, my teacher would be like, this is kind of the costume I want. Here's my idea. Like go to a designer and have it, you know, mm-hmm. get it made. So yeah. I got to be kind of a little bit one-on-one, like the teacher had a vision and then I got to share my vision and then me and the designer collaborated. And thankfully she was in her early mid 20 or mid thirties. So she mm-hmm. was young and fresh and like, she was fun and like, we could really collaborate, but I, I loved being a part of that process. So I think that's super valuable how that's how it started for you is that you got to have a say. And then I love, I loved being at comps and be like, oh my, her costume's so pretty. I want to do that for my next solo. Mm-hmm. And like, that's literally how it happened for you. People would ask you about it. So I think that's super cool. Um, but so the other day I was home, actually the other day, no, a couple of months ago, I was home and I was like, hey dad, do you have the 48 laws of power? Like Ro- mm-hmm. uh, Robert Green. And he was like, why? And I was like, cause I want to read it. He was like, you want to read that? Like, I've been telling you to read all these different books, Outlier, The Art of War, you know, all these different books for so long. And like, I would, you would always say no. And now like, you're coming to me like, all right, cool. Like I don't, but like go online and get it. Like, yeah, go to Amazon. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Like most of our age aren't going to be reading Robert Greene and Tony Robbins and all these people on their own, but podcast is a great medium for us to get that information. And it's a lot more fun and digestible. So I, Mm -hmm. I love that. That's kind of where what fills you kind of came from. Yeah, it was mainly just this idea of wanting to give back what I know from personal experience and what I've learned over the years as well, and really kind of come as a big sister type um, voice, you know, for those who, you know, were in were or are in my position where I was a few years ago. And so that's really how that came about. And along with the card game, as you know, um, how that really came about was... Uh, was actually partially how the podcast came about, which is when my former boyfriend and I, we broke up halfway through college and then we got back together. But for about the seven months, which was at the time, just like some of the darkest days I've ever seen for myself. And I think we all need that at some point. I, I personally was 100%. like <laughs> the biggest ad- adversity I've ever been in. I, I was, it was just a dark and a lonely place because uh, number one, I was, we broke up, but at the time we were living together and we had a dog together. And at that point, we were two about a year and eight months, almost two years into the relationship. And so it was a serious one at the time. He graduated from college. He was two years older than me. And then I transferred to a new university. So I went to Chapman, but I started at UC Irvine, hated the school, transferred to Chapman. So I transferred. He graduates. We're, we just break up, all these things. I still have the dog. Um, I'm at a new school. I don't have friends. I don't have a support system. And most importantly, I can't tell this to my – well. My parents eventually figured out, you know, we weren't together, but I didn't share this with my parents because it's just not something, you know, again, with immigrant parents, it's a very different relationship. And so it was extremely, extremely lonely, mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, I I didn't have friends. I didn't have anyone to be like, hey, do you want to go get Starbucks? Like I didn't, I, I really didn't. It's probably hard for people to imagine today, uh, considering just how I've grown so much from, from that time. But yeah, for five years ago, I just was not, it was not a fun place for me to be. But with that being said, I started to recognize some of my own characteristics and 
weaknesses that I wanted to work on and get better at because I, I acknowledge like there is a reason why I didn't have sustainable friendships and there was a reason why that relationship was not going well and I I thought it through and I knew a, primarily it was because of me um, I knew it was because of the way I treated certain people I knew it was the way I said certain things I knew it was my lack of control and my, the way I reacted to certain things even as something as stupid as like I think I used to get mad at my ex for like liking a girl's photo. I was 20, you know, and I was like, you liked her photo? Like, do you like her? You know, all that shit. So now it's funny when I see people still get mad about it. I'm like, oh, I pissed. I'm like, really? Like, and I get it. I really do. Like, wasting stuff. your time on? Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, you know, it's really funny. But again, I was 20, I was 21. And so I would like, I would throw just a, a, a tantrum, really, just like making this scenario up like you're talking to her. It's crazy, right? So again, it's funny because the way I am now is totally different. But I started to recognize just the importance and the, the, the reason why I was so lonely um, and unhappy was because I actually really had no strong relationships in my life at all, whether it was romantic or just a strong bond, didn't have that at all. And so that's when I started to put a focus on building meaningful relationships and those that had aligned values and aligned visions and, and aspirations for their life, like people that did think big as well. And so it took me a few years to really find grounded people and bring them into my life. And the card game, some of those questions really cultivate the, the energy in the space to see, okay, does this person think the same? Like, I love asking those open-ended questions, especially for like guys or when you're on dates, especially because it's like, you get to see what they would say. You don't really have to give your answer first. You could just be like, you know, yeah. where do you see yourself? Oh, I can't wait to play with like. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun because it's like so deep. but so like, oh shit, like this is deep, you know, but it's like a fun, I, it's a fun, deep way. It's like. Don't spicy. give me the small talk. I don't care how. It's like, let's get deep. <laughs> like, let's get deep. I want the deep stuff. But no, I think it's so so valuable when you said like that was the dark those seven months were and I think we all need to go and that's again coming back to everything happens for a reason like the, mm -hmm. those are the things that like it needed to happen to you for you to learn and evolve and grow and like you wouldn't be who you are today if you hadn't gone through that and look at how much it's given you it's given you what fulfills you both the podcast and the card game it's given you these friendships and it's given you you know this relationship with yourself and your audience and so many other things. So I think it's so, so valuable. And that, that was similar. Like you, you were one of the podcasts that inspired me to start my own and same thing, like going through those experiences in my life and getting out of several, mine was not a four year relationship. Mine was several situationships, but it took me getting, going through those, getting through those and healing from those and being mm -hmm. like, this is really valuable stuff that I've learned and I've come a really long way. I want to teach people how to do that and how to get there for themselves and give them the tools because no one told me that. No one helped me do. I figured it out on my own, but maybe life would have been so much easier if I didn't have to figure it out on my own and I had those resources. So I'm going to be that big sister, that mentor, that friend to people. And I think it's so beautiful how that's how it came about for you. And yeah, I'm dying to play what fulfills you on a date. That would be so fun. Yeah, no, for sure. I want to talk about how you got the card game in retailers and stuff in a second. But so you have Elite Skate where you have what fulfills you and now you have Lost Hatton, which is a mm -hmm. social media agency. So mm -hmm. when and how did that come about? Yeah, the agency came about around Thanksgiving of 2020. I, my, my dad, I was, I was in New York, um, you know, 
once again, going back and forth between New York and LA. And my dad was picking me up to go back to Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving. And so at the time, I remember I just really started to dislike my job just because it started to get really mundane. I worked in corporate sales. I had a nine to five job up until last spring. And uh, November 2020, I was like, this is just not feeling right. Misaligned again, feeling unhappy, trying to practice gratitude every day, being like, all right, grateful for my job, blah, blah, blah. But it just was like, yeah, it was, it was not, it was again, starting to feel that like, yep, it's time to exit, right? So I'm like, okay, well, how do you do that? Because you either find a new job or you got to replace the salary and ideally boost those numbers up because like if you ever want to move to New York, you're going to have to make, you know, some decent income. And so I, I looked at like what were skills I, I always already knew. So branding, digital marketing uh, strategy. Um, and I was like, okay, can you get multiple clients and turn this into a business and, and eventually leave your corporate job? And so I kind of explained this to my dad, hey, this is kind of, this was a vision I had all in one day. In less than 12 hours, I built a website, fully established website, got the domain name, got the email and sent out prospect emails within 20, 12 hours. And so long story short, once I got my first client and I think my second client as well, that's when I was like, all right, done. I'm leaving my corporate job. April rolls around, I leave and then I get on with that. And so I started Lost Hatton primarily to A, leave my corporate job, but B, because it was and is a skill set I already had from prior experience. I did an internship at an agency in college and it was something I did as a freelancer in college as well. And so it was a matter of just taking it to the next level. And once I got the confidence to, you know, obtain clients and have that as a regular source of income, I knew that I was able to, to really make it a full-time thing. That's so cool. I love that when everything just, if it's meant to be, it comes together so, so fast. Like how you did it in like 24 hours, it was up and running and you quickly had clients. And that's kind of how, like when I finally set my mind to, all right, I'm going to start a podcast. It came together super fast because I have the network to be able to have guests on a podcast and it just came together really quickly. And I'm launching my consulting services and that's coming together really, really quickly as well, because I have laid the groundwork by what I'm doing and putting out already online and just who I am as a person. And it's aligned with me. Mm -hmm. And I think you're 25, right? You just yeah, turned 25. Just turned so yeah, we're, we're the same age and it's just, you know, our twenties are so mismarketed, but once we start like now 24, 25, I think we're starting to hit, you know, all right, like we're, we're coming into our own, we're, we're figuring out who we are and who we're meant to be. And like, you just start, like the things start just falling into place. And if you're our age or older and you're not there yet, then your time is coming. Don't worry. But, mm -hmm. um, how do you balance it all? And also dating and social life, which I wish we could have gone to talk more about that, but we'll definitely do a part two on mm -hmm. relationships because that is something that I love that you talk about on your podcast, but how do you balance three businesses, actual businesses, plus like your social media business and just like having a life? I balance it by creating boundaries. I, for example, I only do social outings or anything really socially like incentivizing from Thursday, primarily Friday, but like Thursday through Sunday brunch is like the cutoff and and usually it's as well I, I don't do more than 
two major like events uh, during that time frame. So what I'm saying is like, I don't do more than two dinners. I don't do more or maybe I'll do like three dinners, but it might be like light, you know, it won't be like, oh, this is for a birthday. And this is for, you know, whatever, like I'll do maybe three simple dinners, just a dinner and cocktail type thing. Or maybe one of the nights I'll just go to the lounge, have a drink, enjoy it with friends. Um, another way I balance is I, I create actual time blocks for which days I do like the agency work or like the podcast work, editing, all that. I create a schedule. So for people who hate routines or hate structure, this won't be for you because in order to actually execute and do the things that you want to do in your business or your work, or even as a freelancer, you have to create a sense of structure and actually visualize it and then execute on it. That's been the biggest one for me. And then I think a third one is just also acknowledging that life is meant to be enjoyed. And so I, I don't overwork myself because I think there is a threshold of how much you can do in a certain period of time and how much your, your mind and body will take. And so I allow myself that balance because it typically actually re-energizes me to do better in work and life in general. Absolutely. I agree. Everyone like that, that TikTok that's super popular now, I quit my nine to five to work 24 seven. If you don't like structured nine to five jobs, being an entrepreneur or doing your own thing, or like even working nine to five and having any type of side hustle, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to have a real rude awakening when you realize that you need to be really, really good at scheduling and structuring and type blocking. Like my calendar is mm-hmm. all color coded and blocked off. And I have a massive to-do list every single day that I start Sundays to know what's going on that week, because it can get really intense balancing it all. But I, I love that you said, you know, focusing on like celebrating life and living life and enjoying those moments, because mm-hmm. that is so, so important. And one of my intentions for this year was actually to be more present and in the moment. Um, so I love that that is something that you do as well. And yeah, like I said, we'll definitely do a part two on dating and relationships because there's so much more we can talk about. And I can't wait to dive in with, with you on that. So where can everyone find you and where can they find the What Fulfills You card game? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, just at Emily E. Duong. Duong is spelled D-U-O-N-G. The podcast is at What Fulfills You, and then you can check out the card game at whatfulfillsyou.com. Perfect. I'll leave everything linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.